Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Strange Familiars, true stories of the paranormal, cryptids, hauntings, the occult, mythology, UFOs, folklore, weird and forgotten history. Please make sure to like and subscribe to Strange Familiars on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever you are listening. Please share the Strange Familiars page and episodes on Facebook and other social media. If you have experienced something strange, or if you know a story you would like us to cover, Email strangefamiliarspodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars, and of course, strangefamiliars.com. Welcome to Strange Familiars. On tonight's show, we are going to be talking with Brian Seach. Brian is a paranormal investigator and a writer, and he hosts a paranormal conference in Butler, Pennsylvania. He runs the Center for Cryptozoological Studies. Brian's done a lot of research in the paranormal field, and we will have him back on to talk about his own research at some point. We do get into a little bit of that tonight. But the reason I brought Brian on tonight was mainly to talk about a book. The book is called Chasing the Elusive Pennsylvania Bigfoot, A Cryptid from Another Reality. It's by Paul G. Johnson. Dr. Johnson, who wrote the book, he doesn't do radio interviews, so he sort of nominated Brian as his guy to do press and interviews and so forth for him. And speaking of Bigfoot, I want to give a shout out to Nathan Whitmore. He is the one who posted the Bigfoot photo, which we talked about last episode. Nathan posted it to the Where Did the Rogue Go group on Facebook. 
that indeed was where I first saw it. I think when we were doing the episode, I didn't remember which group I first saw it in. It had appeared in more than one group in my defense, and people were sharing it around individually as well. But the Where Did the Road Go group is the first place I saw the photo. So, Nathan Whitmore, here's your shout-out. Sorry we forgot you last episode. Hopefully this makes up for it. If you like what we do, if you enjoy Strange Familiars, please consider becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. $3 a month gets you bonus episodes. We try to do one full bonus episode every month for our patrons, sometimes more. But there are other levels too if you want other rewards like t-shirts or pins, stickers, etc., etc. There's lots of different levels to choose from there. At this point, we don't take advertisements. We don't have any kind of funding other than our patrons. It's our patrons that make Strange Familiars happen. So thank you for your support, patrons. And again, if you like what we do, patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. Tonight we're talking with Brian Seach. Brian's going to be talking with us on behalf of Dr. Paul Johnson. His book is called Chasing the Elusive Pennsylvania Bigfoot, A Cryptid from Another Reality. That is published by Visionary Living Publishing, and you can get it on Amazon and anywhere you get books, you can pick that up. This is probably my favorite book written on Bigfoot, and I'm really, really happy that it's finally available because before you had to go to Dr. Johnson directly, who, by the way, was super nice about it. When I was writing my first book, I wrote him and said, you know, I was doing this research and he sent me it for free, his self-published version of this. So, I mean, heck of a nice guy, very supportive. Like I said, he's written what is about my favorite book on the subject here. So it's a pleasure to be talking about it. Dr. Johnson doesn't give interviews, right, Brian? Yes, Tim. He, he doesn't. He does not like to do uh, radio interviews. So it was suggested that, uh, you know, that I do the interview for him. Or else he would, you know, he would be on. He's he kind of likes to be in the background. He doesn't really like to talk about himself much. So, uh, being that we've worked with him for years, they decided I could speak for him. So, that's fine. Well, before we uh, get into Dr. Johnson stuff, just very quickly, um, you've written some books yourself. You've been researching this phenomenon for a long time. Just a, a little bit about yourself, and then we'll, we'll get into uh, Dr. Johnson's book. Yeah, well, I basically put together. I wouldn't actually say wrote the books. We put together some anthology anthologies, I guess you would call them. They were they're basically, uh, you know, I've did I've done one on uh, uh, Beaver County, on Butler County, one in Ohio, one on Bigfoot and UFOs, and basically uh, we we just collected a bunch of re- reports and like put them in. We call them booklets, and a little bit of our own thoughts and things like that, and some of our research. We've written I think nine of them, and they're just kind of self-published. We just sell them at conferences, and we're actually uh, working on uh, a local book here where we live in Beaver County, so we're it's coming along really slow, <laughs> a lot slower than we want, but we do want to get something out about our county. Basically, we've been researching, my wife and I, since uh, 1986. Our, our first group was Q, a Center for Unexplained Events. We still have that group today. We started that group, only the four members, and three were family members, and my friend Dave Mon. So we started to collect and research everything under the paranormal umbrella. Ghost, UFOs, Bigfoot, everything. We started to collect uh, newspaper articles, magazines. We got out when we could on some investigations, ghost investigations and things like that. And so in 2012, we formed our our new group, which is the Center for Cryptozoological Studies. And we took all of the uh, strange cryptid reports. And basically, I run that group now, and my wife runs the former group, which is Q. So we've been doing it a long time. We have a huge paranormal library downstairs. One of the second or third biggest in the state, and I know you came to one of our conferences. Or we co-promote the Butler Conference, the Butler Paranormal Conference. I believe you were there. I think two years ago. Yep. Next year will be our uh, our twelfth annual, and we'll be on uh, I believe it's April sixth, the first Saturday of, of April. So hopefully you can make it this year. 
Oh, it's a great conference. It was just timing this year. I, I, I couldn't make it back. But yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I, I recommend anybody who can make it. Um, so I'm kind of on the east central side of Pennsylvania. And you guys are out on the west side for people who mm-hmm. you know may not know the, the counties we're talking about and so forth. Most of your investigations and indeed most of this book kind of covers that area out there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Paul basically uh, researched the Chestnut Ridge. And that's a, a 90 mile ridge that goes from uh, Indiana County down into West Virginia. So that that's the bulk of his uh, research was on that ridge. Yeah, and it's it's well known for strange activity, Bigfoot, UFOs, all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff. Yeah. So you've worked closely with Dr. Johnson then. Yes, we've known Paul. I think I believe since uh, probably 2002 or 2003. First time we met Paul, we were all members of the PA Bigfoot Society, and we met him on an investigation in uh, Indiana Township along the power line. Two eyewitnesses observed a creature walking along the power line, and that's where we found, we first met Paul. Paul since has, has worked uh, some UFO cases with us and also uh, a good share of uh, Bigfoot cases with our uh, a new group, which he is a founding member you know, the Center for Cryptozoological Studies. This book, uh, again, it's called Chasing the Elusive Pennsylvania Bigfoot. It's by Dr. Paul G. Johnson, although it doesn't say doctor on the cover. It just says Paul G. Johnson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's really, really interesting because, and nobody out there, and I think most of the researchers in Pennsylvania, because of the nature of Bigfoot sightings here, we're almost forced not to ignore the kind of weird stuff that goes along with it. Mm-hmm. The UFOs or the, the, the weird lights or just these other you know weird things that pop up with the reports. And reading this book, it was one of the first books that kind of, or the first anything's really not just books that that sort of let me know like you know it's okay to start talking about this weird stuff some people are going to push against it because you know they they simply they don't want us to talk about that stuff they want it to be a very simple you know ape in the woods and that's all it is and if you start talking about this other stuff you're you're mudding the waters but the fact is that other stuff is there and uh it it was really dr johnson's writing that just let me know kind of like okay this is i can talk about this stuff and hopefully not sound crazy. But Yeah, uh, I, I, I agree with you on that. I definitely agree with you on that. Yeah. Do you find that, that in when you research this stuff, either with Dr. Johnson or otherwise, you're just running into that, you know, the UFOs and the, the mystery lights and the orbs and stuff with these Bigfoot sightings? Most of the sightings that we get, especially, you know, especially on, on the Bigfoot side, they don't really have a strange aspect. Most of the time, hey... You know, someone's driving down the road. They see one of these creatures cross in the woods, or people say, "Hey, you know, we believe we have a bigfoot creature on our property." There's very few times that there's actually lights in the sky, or these creatures do something different. Now, again, uh, I think you know Paul would even tell you that a lot of these we call them high. You know, being in Pennsylvania, we call them high strangeness cases. Longtime researcher Stan Gordon, he's the one that in '73 there was a huge UFO bigfoot wave in Pennsylvania, and what kind of started a lot of this, you know, there would be uh, there would be UFO sightings and Bigfoot sightings, strange creatures that were even coming out of a UFO in Uniontown. So there has been a lot of weird things, especially in Pennsylvania, but they are still a small portion of the overall uh, overall number of Bigfoot sightings. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll give you an example. There is right from this book, case number fifty three twenty is a York County case. And it's on Green Valley Road. It's it's not far from me. It's in a town called Seven Valleys, right outside of York. Mm-hmm. And completely randomly, I was talking to a woman. I have, I have a woman there. She's in her 60s or 70s. I've never met her in person. I'm just guessing by her voice and by the, the amount of information she has. She's been keeping records. She's very interested in, in ghosts and ghost stories and the paranormal mm-hmm. and so forth. And she will call me once every month or once every other month and just, just wants to talk and tell me stories and so forth. And uh, she told me, and it matches up with the date in September 1982 when this sighting in the book was, the night before that sighting, her father had a UFO sighting in Seven Valleys. or Well, it's huh. a mystery light sighting. So he went out in, uh, and his fields were glowing. He said the whole field was glowing like a, like a golden green. And I, I just huh. happened to randomly like, look up the date of this, uh, this sighting on Green Valley Road. And sure enough, the the next day there's a there's a Bigfoot sighting. That kind of stuff I run into so often in Pennsylvania. It's bizarre. Like again, you know, I can't say they're related, but it's there's two strange things that happen within you know a day or two. 
yeah, that does happen in, in Pennsylvania. It doesn't happen that often, but it, well, our state seems to, I don't want to say a magnet for it, but it is actually well documented by researchers like Stan and Paul. There are other, uh, you know, so-called cryptozoologists who think, hey, like you said, it's got to be an ape in the woods or nothing else. It can't disappear or it can't have footprints, you know, leave, you know, footprints go into the middle of a snow-covered field and stop. can't shoot at it and it still continues to walk or shoot at it and it becomes, it turns into a ball of light. These creatures, in some of these cases in Paul's book, they, they appear to float. Just some weird, weird aspects of, uh, of some of these cases that a lot of researchers would just throw out. Paul decided not to throw those out. And, um, you know, this book, like you said, is, is a reprint, and there's some new material from the Bigfoot Phenomenon PA, uh, published in 2007. Well, his first book was the Pennsylvania Bigfoot with uh, Joan Jeffers, and they covered 160 cases of Bigfoot in Pennsylvania. I actually call that, jokingly, we call that book the uh, the Bible of Bigfooting in Pennsylvania because it's really scientific. It breaks down a lot of uh, behaviors of the creature, what it looks like in, in, in charts and things like that. It's really a great book. If I could only own one book on Pennsylvania Bigfoot, it would be the first one. The, the, the aspect in Pennsylvania, because Pennsylvania is a huge state, and uh, there's like 44,000, over 44,000 uh, land miles, and 59% of it is forested. Right. And the interesting thing about Pennsylvania is uh, 90% of the residents inhabit only about 10% of the total state. Right. So, And we rank fifth or sixth in total number of sightings in the country. So these people are seeing something. It's just we don't know what the whole phenomena is. Sure, yeah. When I talk to people about Pennsylvania, I often say, like, imagine the country of the United States. There's, you know, you, the East Coast is very populated. The West Coast is very populated. There's a whole lot in the middle that that's not very populated. And Pennsylvania kind of mirrors that. I think sometimes people think Pennsylvania, they think Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. Yes, yes. Yeah, but uh, in the middle of the state, there's a whole lot <laughs> of uh, forested land and not a huge uh, population in there. The best way to look at light pollution maps if you look at light pollution maps, you can tell yes. where, where people are not. And uh, there's a lot in the middle of the state where, where uh, people are not. Mm -hmm. One very, very interesting case in here is Sam Sherry's case. Was it from 1988? Did, did you ever meet Sam Sherry? No, it's actually, it's actually uh, funny that you actually talked about Sam Sherry. See, Paul, Paul gives us a lot of his old research material. And in one of the articles, it had an article on Sam Sherry. Unfortunately, I never got to meet Sam. I came into the uh, you know the, the PBS in uh, 2000, mm -hmm. but I was never able to go to go up and meet him. Sam spent a lot of time after that sighting, which is you know which is in the book. Just a really very colorful man. He he had a bigfoot uh, bigfoot trap out there. He tried to catch it, and he yeah. spent uh, the latter part of his life trying to uh, trying to prove you know to capture bigfoot or prove he was real. Really wish I could have met the gentleman. Yeah, he seemed like quite a character from. Mm -hmm. from the book very unique description of the creature it was uh about seven foot and it looked like it had mange or, or was scratching itself mm -hmm. he said and yeah. it almost looked like it had a mohawk yeah haircut yeah, yeah. from the way he described it's it it's actually drawings in the book that's right that's right yeah yeah it's an excellent description in the book i, I as much as i'm telling here i'm not giving away half of the uh, the story it's an, it's just a totally fascinating story he was actually touched by the creature it came up close enough to touch him Mm -hmm. which is, I mean, that is so rare and so amazing. And what a brave dude also. <laughs> I agree. I would have had to change my underwear, I think. I've been asked this so many times, what would you do if you've actually saw one? And sure, you could say, hey, I do this or I do this. I would. How do you actually know? Even though I, we spent, I spent a good portion of my life researching this, you don't know until it would actually happen. And that's the reason I do this. I want to see one of these things. I've never seen one. Uh, you know, heard some strange yells, things like that, but I have never seen one, and uh, I envy the people who get into it after they've seen one. I'm actually doing it the, the other way. I mean, I've read about, like, the eyewitnesses, and I've talked to, to a lot a lot of eyewitnesses who, who claim they've seen them. A lot of them have changed their lives. You know, you're, they're driving down the road, something crosses the road or looks into their window, something that science says doesn't exist, and all of a sudden they're seeing this. So how you would at, react I mean, hopefully I find out one day, and I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, get off topic just for a little bit. Are you getting uh, any more reports than usual this year? Well, we actually got – we actually just did a case actually two weeks ago here in Beaver County where uh, an eyewitness was, was sitting overlooking the river, 
And he had this weird feeling like he was being watched. So he drove past this area, a small area of woods, and this he claimed this creature was about uh, almost seven foot tall and had uh, green glowing eyes, and it stepped out from the tree and looked at him. We were able to check out the... When we got the report, it was probably about a month afterwards because it happened, I think, May, May 19th or something like that. So we just went out about two weeks ago because we just got it. And they claimed there was a print there. They took a picture of a print, and they said it was three-toed, but you couldn't tell from the picture. We checked the exact area, and there was nothing there because of all the heavy rains that we get off and on lately. Sure. But uh, I went down there and checked the area out. It was on a big hill. It looked like that there was an area where something might have went through, through, but it was too – you couldn't tell for sure. And then we received an older report here in Beaver County. So the last couple have been in my county, in Beaver County. So it seems to be this year might be a, de- a better year for reports. Mm-hmm. Uh, some years you, you hardly, hardly get anything. So it also depends. I think the reports are out there, especially in my county, in Beaver County. People just don't really know who to go to, even though we've been out there for a long time. Yeah. Uh, oh, I, I, I and totally. it's a very tight-lipped community. They don't want to talk about things like this. It's, it's the same here. The Pennsylvania Dutch over on this side of the state, they do mm-hmm. not talk. They just don't talk. Yes. <laughs> very hard to get them to talk. This year has been more active than any for me as far as getting reports, mm-hmm. both old and new. Uh-huh. I've gotten more reports probably in the past two months than I have in, in most years normally. It's been uh, no, that's good. That's good. Yeah, it's been really, really active. I was just wondering uh, if if it was the same across the state, or and I don't know what to attribute that to. I don't know if maybe you know my name's just getting out there enough now, where people people are like, you know, this is the guy for York County, or if it's just random. You know, I don't know what to attribute that to, but mm-hmm. I do find it interesting. Like all of a sudden, it seems like out of nowhere, I'm just getting reports, like three a month, as opposed to maybe that many in a year. You know, I Which, yeah yeah, and I think this year is going to be a you know, we have another report or so pending also. So it's it's an older report in Beaver County, but uh, the person has yet to send in the report. So this is why we do it. One of the things is, you know, we, we're a document, you know, an archive group. We archive old newspaper articles, and we don't want this to get all of this this stuff to get lost. We intend sure. to publish, uh, or, and to, to, it's, we're calling it the, the CAP, the Cryptid Archive Project. And we're attempting to, uh, a little later in the year, get people's uh, emails and start sending out some of these like news, news, old newsletters, old clippings via email so that they have it for their records and they can use it for their research because it's important, we, we believe, to get this stuff out. A lot of the newer researchers don't really do things like that. You know, if it's not on the Internet, it doesn't count, you know, type thing. Right, but right. Well, a that's lot a... of old stuff, you know, in the archives, like your book. And, sure. uh, your, your book on a Pennsylvania Big which is excellent, by the way. So, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that's what we need more of. Yeah, that I mean that was a labor of love. It came out of my first book, and then uh, you know I find myself doing. I'm going to try to do the whole country. We'll we'll see. Some states do not have as much as Pennsylvania does. But yeah, no, that's a fantastic service. And sharing reports is it's so important, and it's so difficult these days. I I don't know what the attitude is where you know people are afraid to to share a report. I I understand if you don't want to give a witness name. Sometimes witnesses want to be private or if it's private yeah, yes, yes. if it's private property and you don't want to share that that's absolutely completely understandable. But the other details yes. of the report, we should be sharing this stuff. Mhm. I agree. It's it's only going to help everybody. So uh, no, that's a, that's a fantastic uh, service and and you know, on behalf of the community, thank you for doing that. That's Yeah, that's we're going to be doing, starting that uh, uh and I and I'll, I'll list it, you know, you know where to send it. You know where to send me an email, and and you know we we want to do it like a maybe a once a month type thing, and send it out to everybody at once. You know have a big list and just boom. You know make it easy as we can. Be looking for that. I know you're a friend on Facebook, so you'll be seeing it on Facebook, and hopefully you can get signed up. I'd like to send you a bunch of that stuff too. So sure, yeah, yeah. Back to the book. Some of that that sort of hard data it is in this book. And he'll break down like the number of sightings by counties. Um, yes. the sort of what he's calls hotspot, you know, during different times, different parts of different counties. Uh-huh. And one of the most interesting things to me is the time of day of sightings where, you know, it's, it seems to be this sort of known thing that you have to be out at night to see these creatures, but the data doesn't really reflect that so much. I mean, I think it's 52% of the sightings were nighttime sightings. You know, the rest were daytime. It's, it's pretty even. It's almost 50, 50. So mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty interesting, like like that kind of data he collected that just sort of, it seems like the, the sort of common sense in the Bigfoot world is, oh, you got to be out at night to see him. But it doesn't seem to be supported by the data. 
Yeah, I found that like when I when I read that too. I was I, you know when I started into the field, I'm like, wow, you know these creatures are more active at night, and it, it's probably still slightly a little bit more at night, probably. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think they probably still keep their, themselves. Uh, remember, that's just reported sightings, also. And right, right. I think sometimes that data can be skewed because, like here in our county, just just for an example, about you know about time of year, we seem to get our reports from say September, and they end in January. I mean, very few. The one we got a couple of weeks ago was was one of the exceptions. Very few were like in the summertime. So some people say, "Hey, are these things migrate or blah blah blah." You know, well, I can't tell you that. All I can tell you is the dates and when most of our sightings occur here. And they do seem to, to follow a, a pretty rigid pattern of the, of the reported ones, I should say. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course people are out more during the day. So you're more likely, uh-huh. you know, you're, you're more likely to see something because there's just more mm-hmm. people, more people around to see it. So, you know, that, mm-hmm. that could certainly account for it as well. But yeah. uh, I did, I did find that probably the most interesting, most surprising, I would say of, of all the data charts he had in there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com. He lists a good few cases in here. There's a, an appendix with just, you know, citing reports. But I mean, I, I would recommend this to anyone who's interested in the topic, not just in Pennsylvania. Certainly, the, you know, the cases he uses to represent what he's talking about are for the most part from Pennsylvania, or I think 100% in this book from Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. But the ideas he talks about are universal and this strangeness and, and, and while we do have the you know the, the sort of strange features that kind of coincide with bigfoot sightings in pennsylvania that's not limited to pennsylvania it does happen elsewhere and what dr johnson suggests might be responsible for this is a sort of quantum theory in regards to the creatures that they are able to somehow access quantum physics in ways that we don't quite understand am i explaining that fairly yeah, he, yeah. Basically, and, and again, I'm, to me, it's it's a very hard subject to grasp. And believe me, I for me to explain it fully would be, you know, be like, you know, I have to be a rocket scientist. But it's basically the observation determ- determines a reality. Basically, it basically states that the creature has to be observed in order to see it. It has to be an observer, and uh, it is kind of a you know, a strange thing to wrap your, your head around. Paul basically, you know, says in the book, and I'll even quote it, and after his 40 years of investigating Bigfoot reports, he comes to the determination that the creature is not a flesh and blood animal that continually resides and remains hidden in the woods. Because he, he basically states that, you know, the creature kind of violates the laws of classic physics. And in there, there is a, a chart about, uh, like, between a Bigfoot and a bear. And he states, hey, a bear can be tracked through the woods, a Bigfoot can't. And he talks about, you know, over 4,000 bears are harvested in Pennsylvania, but Bigfoot has been shot at uh, a lot of times with no, with no effect. Uh, bears can be found dead due to natural causes, but to date no one has found a dead Bigfoot that we know of, okay. Also, 300 bears have been killed each year in PA by car traffic, but there's, there's been no reported Bigfoot kills from a car. So. He kind of states it in that, like, like, in, if it was a real animal, like a bear, even if it was a, 
how should I say, they, uh, a very, very limited number of these creatures. He said that they would, they should still follow the rules of classic physics, and he says that this this creature doesn't. So this, this is how he tries to explain it through uh, through science, through quantum quantum science. And again, uh, I can't claim to to know a ton about that. I know that longtime researcher Ron Moorhead he also published a book called The Quantum Bigfoot, and I don't know if you've read that yet. I have. I have, and it's uh, I, I read about half of it. I kind of jump around a lot between books, and uh, he has a lot of good points too. You know, he says about Nikola Tesla said, you know, if you, if you want to know the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. Could these creatures somehow be able to raise their vibrational energy appear and somehow to appear? And I want to say appear to be seemingly invisible. Right. And even Einstein said, you know, it, quantum physics would be like spooky action at a distance. So there's a lot of weird stuff with the quantum theory. I wish I knew more about it myself. I've tried to you know, research it and learn about it. In the book, I have to say, Dr. Johnson does a very, very good job of making it understandable. It's, it, might yes. be, it might be hard for you and I to sit here and explain it, but if you read the book, mm-hmm. he explains it in such a way that it makes it very friendly to the layman. You don't have to be... You know, you don't have to have a PhD in, in physics to understand what he's talking about, the way he writes it. So I, I would really recommend, like, if, if people are interested in that side of things, in checking out the book, you know, for that chapter alone. I, like I said, the whole book is really interesting, really fascinating. But that chapter really opened my mind. And I want to make the point that when, when I say they, they can access the quantum realm or they have this, it's not like they have a box of buttons, you know, where they're, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> where they're pressing these yeah, buttons yep. or something that, that allows them to do yep. that. It, it might be a very natural aspect of them, you know, as natural as it is for us to do, you know, walk or do something else. They may be able to mm-hmm. enter these states, so, you know, like you said, raise their vibrations or, or however it's done. The tendency for so many people to, I think, just go into that that uh, place where they say, "Well, they must be demons," and that is avoided completely in this book. There's, it's it's handled in a very, well, let's look at this. It's very unusual activity, but let's look at it in terms of science and see if there's something within science that could explain this kind of unusual activity. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I mean, he there's like there's you know there's there's some drawings and stuff about you know showing an electron and things like that and. The best thing I could suggest for people, if they, like you said, if you're really interested in it, is to read it yourself and, and, and you know, try to get a, a grasp on the, what the quantum aspect is. I think Paul does do a good job on that as far as, like, you know, for a guy like me to try to explain it. I can understand it more than I can explain it to you, if that makes any sense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think people can probably hear we're both sort of struggling uh, on how to explain it. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yep. trust me, uh, the book is very, very friendly. The way he explains it is very, very easy to grasp, which isn't easy. It isn't easy to write that kind of science and make it easily understood. So that's one of my favorite things about this book. It's just wonderfully written for the layman. You don't have to be a, a physicist to understand it or have a uh, degree in science or something like that. This book itself, for a good majority of Bigfoot researchers, they're not going to agree with some of his findings. But sure. the actual, you know, he, he was out there and... We'll, I, I should explain, when he's out there researching, you know, he, he's out there looking for physical evidence of a physical creature. It seems to be physical when people are seeing it here. My friend, good friend Fred Saluga always says, well, where does it come from and where does it go? He always loves saying that. So it's like, yeah, when you're seeing it, it's, you know, it's in this realm, it's present. You know, where does it go? I mean, what does it do? I mean, if you're thinking it's a physical flesh and blood creature, you know, would it hide in caves? Well, where you know where would it go? Would it have to go somewhere where it's not going to be seen. So you're going to want to go to the more remote places. You know, there's over 900,000 registered hunters in Pennsylvania, and for those two weeks in deer season, they're all over the place. So, you know, there are a lot of things. Hey, you know, if this thing was really real. Shouldn't we have more proof of it? And I think there is some key, some little piece, hidden piece in this Bigfoot phenomena that we don't quite get, whether it is a quantum or whatever the thing may be i think that we are missing a piece of the puzzle oh i I think we would have a lot more you know what i mean absolutely i I agree absolutely and and i've i've made the same point here in york county we have we have forest we have farmland we have areas where things could hide but Mm -hmm. the number of sightings we have 
would have to, we'd have to have a breeding population here, and it just doesn't make sense. It like I know. where is a breeding population hiding here? Because they're you know they're seen all times a year. We get them, you yeah. know. We we might get more reports uh, certain times a year, but I've taken reports all times a year. It's just very, very difficult to believe that this is a a natural animal, like you were saying, uh, like a bear. I mean, it may in fact be a very natural yeah. animal and just do things that we don't understand. But yeah, uh, yes. But it might, it might have a certain aspect. I don't want you know. Well, you summed it up when you said a lot of it just doesn't make sense, and. It just doesn't make sense. I could say it over and over again. It, mm-hmm. You know, if eventually, don't you think eventually we should, if not have a specimen, have a lot more evidence of it? Right. I know our ground, you know, and I know you can talk about the ground and the forest and the, the leaf litter, and you can go on and on. But, uh, you know, there are prints, but there's not a lot of them out there. Not a lot of people are finding them. You do find them occasionally. I, I unfortunately have never found, well, we did find two up in 2002 as, as part of a, uh, when I was part of the PBS up up in the Chestnut Ridge, and I uh, was one fourteen inch and one seven, they were right next to each other. I was up on an old logging road on top of a mountain, and there was leaves in it. So you actually had to. We walked past it and we walked past it again, and I'm like, wait a minute, it kind of looks like a print. And pulled a couple of leaves on. Wow, it's there. It was easy. Could have been easy to miss. Wow. So, but other than that, I mean, and someone else casted it, and they have the they have the prints, but I myself have never found. I found imprints, but. You know, you you see an imprint, it's like, well, uh, it it takes a lot for me to want to cast something. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm not just going to cast. So Yeah, I I found like, I'll say two or three, maybe four, what I call maybe prints, where, you know, they seem to be prints, but then I like seriously doubt they're going to convince anybody else that, you know, even another Bigfoot person, much less a skeptic, you know, Mm -hmm. they just happen to be in the area where I was investigating and they, they look like, you know... it was vaguely the shape of a foot, but it wasn't that detailed, you know, that kind of thing. So that tends to be, uh, I think, what what most of these are. And like you said, it's rare to find a good, you know, clean footprint. Yeah, and you know, there's you know, there's some some out there that you know, they're finding them all this, every single time. I'm like, well, hey, you want to question that a little bit? I mean, I don't think that they're they're very very rare to find. I mean, that's the second best thing you can see other than having a sighting, you know, maybe get something on tape, but, uh, you know, you find a nice print. You know, I have a lot of friends in the field and most of them haven't found or they get lucky if they find one. So we, right. we actually have two in our possession. One of them is a picture in this book of that 74 Ford toad cast. We have that original, that actual original cast that Paul gave to our group. And we have the other one too, the one that Bob Francis found in 90, I think it's 95. We have that original too, so we have two original casts, but they're not our cast. Mm-hmm. So we do we do have some nice casts from other group members, and we were able to get a, a cast from my friend John McDonald of from the uh, uh, 1974 Sykesville, Maryland. The gentleman let us copy it down at the Cabela's. So we actually have there's only two or three of those in existence. I mean, he has the original, only two or three other copies of it. Yeah, I was going to say I've, I've never group seen has one of those. I've never even seen that print. And I yeah, grew, we should, I grew I'll, up I'll probably. There. Did you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've never, never seen it. Didn't know they had. Didn't know they had prints in there. Yeah, there was a a, a policeman took the uh, took the actual cast, and I think the gentleman's name is George Lutz, I believe, the, of the uh, Eastern Puma Network. I think he's the one that was there when they took it, and they actually gave him one of the two prints. Wow. So, so we have one of the, We have a rare. I, I actually probably should get it and probably take a picture of it and post it on Facebook for people to see. I've been wanting to do that. You kind of forget with everything else going on. But, sure, uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we, we do have a collection from other researchers, too, that we get. You know, we'll, we'll trade them a cast or we'll say, hey, can we take a copy of that cast? Our friend Fred Saluga and his group, Fayette County Bigfoot Research Project, they have three. They found three. They're really nice, long, long prints. And uh, so we were able to get copies of those also. So, we, you know, we're lucky that we work with people that we're able to get to let us copy them. We we basically just wanted one Pennsylvania and Ohio cast if we can get them. You know? Right, yeah. Are the three-toed and four-toed tracks still popping up, or is that more something from the past? It seems to be the three- and four-toed were more in the 70s. Now, I don't really know if anyone has it's got any three- or four-toed cast of late. I mean, they could. I just don't know, know about them. Mm-hmm. But uh, they seem to be more of a, like a 70s phenomena, and a lot of them in conjunction with UFOs or yeah. weird you know, weird sightings. So the one in 74 that we have was December 29th, 
and this creature was it was in Allegheny County. It was like four days after Christmas. There was Christmas lights on this tree, and this creature came and looked at it and was looking at the Christmas lights. And it, you know, the creature turned around and went back into the woods. And the uh, the Pennsylvania Center for UFO Research, which is the group that Paul took over, several members went out there that night and they casted that early in the morning. So that's a rare, rare footage. I mean, a rare cast of uh, somebody actually seeing the creature and getting a print right in that same area. It's, it's wow. rare for that yeah, to happen. Oh yeah. So it, it when is. I yeah, I tell people, I'm like, hey, this is our best, the best evidence that our organization has, but it was from Paul. Mm-hmm. Paul's uh, group, so, and that's why we do take it. And we show it. We show it to a lot of people. It is. Uh, if I would have to say, was this from a Bigfoot creature? I would have to say that over any anything I've seen. Was that a uh, three or four toad? That was a four toad. Four toad one. And that picture is in the book. And, okay. All right. Um, yeah. Yep. You'll see it. It's in the book. And the other one also that we have that original copy also. Yeah, the, we were getting three toad tracks here, but again, it like you said, it seemed to end in the seventies. Uh-huh. I don't recall any four-toed tracks from here. Even other Bigfoot people give me grief on the three-toed tracks. And, you know, I don't know what to tell them other than that, you know, they were seen in the western part of the state. They were seen on this side of the state. And uh, Boggy Creek, I think, had some mm-hmm. three-toed tracks down there. I did hold one of the casts of uh, the three-toed tracks from around here. And I don't know I, I don't know if it, it was the same, uh, you know, type track. It was long, and uh, to me, it looked like the the toes could have been. Uh, it's it's called a syndactyly, I think. It's a, they're they're sort of forged together. So it, you know, in fact, it might have been a five toed creature, but the toes mm-hmm. were were sort of genetically never separated. Mm-hmm. I mean, just looking at the cast, because it look, looks like three like big toes. You know, what I mean, that could have been other toes kind of forged together, but I'm not sure. I'm certainly yeah. Not. Stan Gordon has has he he got a cast like that from. Uh, back of the uh, Westmoreland Mall in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And uh, there actually was, in our local newspaper in November of 73 here in Beaver County, that there was some light scene. And uh, some lady claimed that she saw, <clears throat> excuse me, a large gorilla-looking creature in the area. And they did. There was a picture of a three-toed footprint here in Beaver County. I believe Stan probably has that cast, but uh, he's never, to date, I don't think he's ever shown anybody it. So, Yeah, the one I had was from Bob Chance. He let me hold it and photograph it, and I keep meaning to call him and see if I can get a copy of that because it had been repaired several times, and I know he was he was very worried about it. You know, he was like, "Please don't, you know, please be careful with this. Don't break it." I'd yeah, lo- I'd love to get a copy of that because there's very few of the tracks around here were cast in the '70s, and they're they're all very very precious. So um, I'll have to uh, contact Bob Chance and see if he'll, he'll let me get a copy of that because uh, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I've met Bob. I've met Bob Chance. One or two times when he was at TA Bigfoot uh, Society conference uh, in Jeanette, and a uh, wonderful guy, wonderful researcher. He, he's been around for a long time, like Paul has. Yeah, Bob's been around forever. I mean, he was he was poking at this stuff, and well, most of the the articles I dig out locally, you know, from the seventies and eighties, I think you know ninety percent or more of them mention Bob in some way. He's he's some way involved in in investigating the cases. So uh, yeah, our friend Rick Fisher. I think I believe you know Rick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was up at our conference this year, and he brought me a whole huge file, I mean, books of old newspaper articles, because he wanted to add to our library, and he knows that we collect them. And it was like Christmas time for me. I mean, I, I, and there was a lot of Bob Chance articles in there, a lot, and a couple of pictures of him with the three, uh, three code cats. So it was like Christmas morning and when he brought them, and he brought them like on a Friday night, and it was like, a, like I was still looking through them at midnight, even though we had to get up early to go to the conference the next day. I'm like, I'm so excited, you know. I'm a geek, though, you know. So what am I? <laughs> no, I'm the, I'm the same way with these articles. If you drive through Pennsylvania in summer, you know, you, you're like, oh, look at all these places to hide. Then you go in the winter, it's like you see all the, you just see the, the trees without leaves. You're like, really? Could something really live in there? You, you, you know what I mean? You kind of change your tune a little bit. But I, where do they go? Where do they live? I mean, I mean, that's you have the, to be in some of the deepest parts of the forest underground. I mean, I don't know. That, that's the biggest question. And I have an article in the latest volume of Woodnocks, and in that article, I, I just talk about eight square miles in York County. So that's that's all it is—just mm-hmm. eight square miles and the the incredible number of sightings we have in this this area called Delta Peach Bottom. To account for the number of sightings, you know, again, they're they're every time of year, so. Either they're living there or they're going through that area on a regular basis. Yeah. So. If they're living there, then there has to be young ones there. And presumably, 
you know, young creatures make mistakes. You know, they're just, uh-huh. you're not usually born, you know, knowing everything and, and with all the skills of an adult. It just doesn't happen. You know, beyond what is it eating, how is it supporting itself, how are family groups organized? With the number of hunters and the number of, like, open carry gun owners in York County, I just, you know, it just seems to me like there, there can't be family groups here. There can't because it, where are the young ones? Where are they, got, where are they hiding them? You know, where, where are the Bigfoot uh-huh. playpens where they keep these things so they don't yeah, wander yeah. into the road or whatever, you know, whatever the case would be. So You know, like you said, a lot of it just doesn't make sense. I mean, you, I sit there and I try, okay, well, if they watch who the number one predator is and that's man, uh, they do what, you know, we don't. You know, we're more in the suburbs and stuff. Well, they're in the, they're in the woods as far back as they can. Um, you know, although they're seen day and night, I still think that they move and do more activity at night. We do it in the day. They're, they kind of mirror what we do, and they do the opposite. So they kind of and, – and that would make sense for a species if you want to survive. Stay away from your apex predator, which is man. Yeah, I have to say, as I say all this stuff and I ask all these doubts, I am an absolute believer. I'm <laughs> this mm-hmm. is like I say this stuff as someone who I've looked into witnesses' eyes when they've told me this stuff. I've I've seen them their hands shake. You know, I absolutely believe what the witnesses are telling me. I am a believer. I'm also a, a questioner. I I want to know, you know, where are like you said, where where do they go and where do they come from? Yeah, I've seen them too. I've talked to the eyewitnesses like you. I've seen grown giant men, really big guys. They they get goosebumps and they say, oh, I can't believe I've seen this. And uh, years after, in the 70s, and they're telling me that there's, it's still affecting them. So it, it, some of these people should be actors because, you know, I think they could fool anybody if they're lying. And I don't think they're lying. I think they're seeing, somehow they're seeing something that's not supposed to be there. I do believe that. Right. Um, what the whole phenomenon is, I can't tell you. I wish I could. I, I really wish I could give more more information, but I, I don't just want to say something the fact of saying it. If I don't know, I'm just going to tell you I don't know. I think that's the honest answer, right? Yeah. Until we know, we have to say, you know, I don't know. I can make guesses. I, yeah, I, you can guess, yeah. I, I have theories, but it, it amounts to science fiction until we can prove it, you know? <laughs> yep. That's the real thrust of, of my sort of argument with this, and to make people understand that, no, no, I, I think people are seeing something. I think it's something very real. It's something that leaves footprints and, and hair and and manipulates objects. It's not a ghost in as much as it ethereal or something. You know, it's it, uh, it's very much here. You know, it's it's as real as the uh, microphone in front of me. But it's also doesn't act like a bear for sure. You know, it doesn't act like a uh, like a mountain gorilla. We can find mountain gorillas. You know, it might be hard to find them, but we'll find them eventually. You uh, eventually find them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, like you know, as far as us too. You know, our group. If you want to talk about Bigfoot, we you know we research everything from the dog man to to uh, creatures that they call gargoyles. I mean, and I've talked to the eyewitnesses there too, and you know you see the fear in their eyes. They're like, you know, you're not going to believe this. I just saw something looks like a werewolf, or I saw this big winged entity it crossed the road. Again, these things are not supposed to exist, but I think somehow what these things are, I don't know, but I do believe people are seeing them. I mean, now could those be some kind of a quantum animal also? interdimensional quantum some paranormal whatever the phrase you want to use i think especially with some of these other creatures a lot of that stuff fits even more even than bigfoot because right. you know, at least yeah. bigfoot will leave prints and things like that these yeah. other creatures scant evidence you know yeah those gargoyle sightings are weird too and uh, there's been a few of those kind of scattered throughout the state they're kind of bat-winged like large thin humans right that, that people are seeing yeah, yeah. Well, in Allentown '93, there was one. I think in Susquehanna, there was there were some sightings of one. And here in Butler County, which is where you went to the conference in Chicora, is where the, uh, the alleged Chicora gargoyle was from. I think it was 2011 to 2013. And the one, the drawing from uh, up in Butler here mirrors the drawing in 1993 in Allentown, PA, almost to a T. And it was, Dan Gordon got the original original report on that. And the eyewitness whom I met drew it and i saw that i says oh my god i saw that i've seen this i've seen this so where is it at so i looked through my files i must have spent like an hour looking through my files and i'm like wait a minute i saw this drawing in an old bigfoot newsletter believe it or not uh, billy green wrote it was called about uh, the bigfoot news i believe it was called so i look at it and boom there's that drawing i'm like it's the same thing and there was a number on there and i actually got to call the lady and contacted her and her number was still good and this was 
I think she put it in there in like 97 or 90, you know, and she, the number was still there. So we talked, she's a Facebook friend. Now she told me it was like a secondhand store, third hand story, but with this, this creature crossed the road. And, uh, when it got to the other side of the road, it put its wings up and it just shot straight up. It didn't flap its wings. It just shot straight up in the air. Now what can do that? Right. I would like to know. Uh, no jetpack or anything. They didn't hear anything. No jetpack. It looked like a natural, well, not a natural. It looked like a real flesh and blood animal. It just took off. I think some of the Mothman reports it shoots straight up like that without, you yes. know, it doesn't flap its wings. It spreads its wings and just shoots up, which is bizarre. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just weird. Very, um, very bizarre. Very yeah. bizarre. I mean, more Dogman reports over time, are you finding? We get Dogman reports. We don't get a lot of them. The last one that we got was, we investigated, it was last year, I think it was last year in June, but the sighting took place the year before, it was up in Crawford County. That was the last one that we got. They're sporadic, we do get them. People are are talking about them more, I just don't think that they happen as much. Mm-hmm, we get, uh, you know, the ones that we get are up in the Shenang, around Mercer County, Shenang, around Shenango Valley uh, Reservoir up there. Mm-hmm. So we've yeah. got one, you know, a couple in Beaver County, one in Beaver County, one in Allegheny County. I think we've maybe got a total of 10 or 11 through the year. So it's not like we've gotten a lot. We haven't. We think those sightings are out there too, but people, I still think are reluctant, especially around here, to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, what, hey, bad enough you say, I saw a giant ape. Uh, somebody's saying, well, I saw a giant thing that looks like a werewolf. You're not going to believe this, you know. Right. Yeah, it has to be harder to. T- I mean, the strangest things are the harder it must be to talk about them. And Bigfoot, you know, with Finding Bigfoot and and uh, yeah. various other shows, is kind of that has done us a favor. Uh, like the show or not, I believe it's it's done us a favor as researchers in that I think people are a little more accepting and a little more likely to talk about it than they were before, mm-hmm. because Bigfoot's in the pop culture. And and I think you know, Dogman might be getting there, but yeah, I think you're right. I think. I think people are probably even more reluctant to talk about that. And I, I do think they're they're rare to be seen in general, but uh, I do think the, the reports seem to be increasing. I don't, I mean, you know, I wasn't into this as hardcore as I am now, but, you know, I always kind of followed it over the year, and I don't remember even hearing about Dogman 10 years ago, say. Yeah, we, the, the, one of the very first cases that we did, believe it or not, was in 2007. It was over in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. Was, we actually met the eyewitness at, at that Bigfoot conference in Ohio. And uh, she claims that this, this thing it, it was walking across the road at 2 or 3 in the morning, and it looked like, she said it looked like the creature from American Werewolf in London, and it had patches of skin and patches of fur, almost like it was morphing or changing. But the, the odd part about it, it ran towards the power substation. And we got that in several other reports, too. And another report up in uh, uh, Newcastle where this, this creature... They saw a small creature walking around the car right before a major thunderstorm and lightning storm. And this, the common denominator in some of the ones that we've got, there seems to be like a power source or some kind of energy source when these creatures are being seen. Even the one that uh, up in Shenango uh, Valley, the one that was standing by a telephone pole. So is there a connection or am, I, or am I reaching too much? But at least two of them, these creatures went directly towards the power substation. So if they were quantum or whatever you want to say, however you want to say it, did they need some kind of an energy source to manifest to go back and forth? So, again, I'm not saying that they are, but it is just something kind of quirky and weird with some of these dogman sites. Yeah, that is strange. Well, there, There's a lot of strangeness that follows them. Well, there have been reports of them, you know, eating at roadkill or eating at yeah. know, supposed kills and stuff. So they do act like animals, and as far as that goes, but uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing. I would say, at least in the fossil record, there are things that look like Bigfoot. Um, we haven't, found, we don't have anything in the fossil record that is Bigfoot, to our knowledge. Some would argue Gigantopithecus, but I, I don't really feel like that fits the bill. But maybe, you know, maybe over time it it would. They'll prove that. It uh-huh. did. But there are at least upright things, you know, that that mm-hmm. are that are covered in hair in the fossil yeah, record. Yeah. There's nothing in the fossil record that even looks like Dogman. Like, you know, yep, I know, just, I know. Canines are, you know, evolutionary speaking, they're kind of, you know, that form works. There's a reason why, you know, they've been around as long as they have, and they, they haven't changed that much because it's a very mm-hmm. efficient form, and it, it tends to work. So how is this thing going to evolve, you know, hands? It, that just It seems completely, completely out of the realm of natural evolution to me. It is another thing. It makes even less sense than a Bigfoot. 
I mean, and I, and I believe me, I, the people I talk to, I think they've seen what they've seen. I'm not doubting them. Right. But right. It's, it's another thing. It just doesn't make any damn sense. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. And your book, by the way, not not to change the subject, but I really did like your uh, Beyond the Seventh Gate book. I thought it was really good. Oh, I'm I'm working on the follow up right now. So hopefully good. by the end of summer. Which gets e- even weirder. <laughs> I I found some new information. It's still it's got the the historical stuff in it, but I found a lot of really really strange witness reports that are in there, and then uh, put in some of my own experience. It definitely takes a turn for the strange. Well, I will share it. I will. Sh- I, I I shared your other. I do share your stuff on my. Oh pages, yeah, you, so. you've, you've been very kind about that. So th- thank you for that. <laughs> thank you. Okay, well, the book we were talking about tonight is called "Chasing the Elusive Pennsylvania Bigfoot: A Cryptid from Another Reality." It's by Paul G. Johnson. Again, that's published by Visionary Living. You can find it wherever books are sold. Gets my highest recommendation. Brian, thank you so much for coming on and talking with me about it. If you see Dr. Johnson, please give him my best. Tell him uh, I I really appreciate his work and and I love his book. Oh, I I will tell him thanks. I'll probably see him in about a month or so. And uh, I I appreciate you having me on and a chance to talk about the book. I thank you. Sure thing. And we'll we'll have you back again and we'll talk more about your research and so forth. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening, everybody. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts. Music, books, art, podcasts, and more. DarkHollerArts.com If you're on Facebook, look up the Strange Familiars Gathering Group. Join and share your stories, creations, get news about the show, and more. Intro and background music is by Stonebreath. Go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com for more. Until a cat, a sorrow and psych in a black shirt. I shall gain to the devil's name. I feel like I'm home again. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.